0: My name's Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times is what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time the Homes for Ukraine scheme, part of Britain's response to Putin's invasion of Russia's neighbour. Most people think it is a positive contribution, granting those fleeing from war access to benefits and the opportunity to work from the moment they arrive, which is denied to other people seeking asylum in the UK. Understandably, perhaps, given the speed with which the situation in Ukraine unfolded, there were teething problems. But my investigation for the Byline Times podcast has found that numerous issues still remain unresolved six months after Homes for Ukraine was introduced.
1: I posted a few posts like in uh, Facebook like groups, and I received a lot of messages from men, actually. Yeah, from single men. And it was, oh, my God, what's going on here?
2: You know, there is no trauma support funding in place for these people. And therefore, if they hide in their bedroom or if they cry to you, it's because they're distressed.
3: Two months later, from the moment we applied for her visa, she was really losing hope.
0: All that to come. First, though, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, a brilliant monthly newspaper. We can report without fear or favour and hold the rich and the powerful to account because our funding comes from ordinary subscribers, people like you. There is no corporate interest, no millionaire backer telling us what to say. So please, if you can, subscribe to the Byline Times. The newspaper has loads of great exclusive content that you cannot find online. Get more details about how to subscribe at bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. Now the Homes for Ukraine scheme announced in March was portrayed by the government as being in the best traditions of the UK, helping people flee war and persecution. Those without any ties to this country were welcome to come and work here and or claim benefits as long as they could find a family willing to host them. After that, they just needed to fill in a form and obtain a visa. So, pretty straightforward, eh? Sadly not. For people escaping a war zone, documentation isn't always at hand and British bureaucracy has sometimes been slow sometimes incompetent. Tanya Klemenko, a Ukrainian academic now living in the UK, has helped dozens of refugees with their applications and has numerous stories of files simply going missing at the home office. Sometimes Tanya has only been able to sort out the confusion by going to a government office, which isn't officially open to the public, in her home city of Sheffield. Here's one tale about a woman who had to pay people traffickers to escape Ukraine. And was then desperately waiting for her uk visa
3: olena is a 52 years old civil engineer who lived in kachovka it's in southern ukraine kherson region and this is a region which uh, had been occupied for months now since since uh, springtime she worked as a shift manager in government run irrigation system, which is, uh, you know, extremely important for agriculture in dry parts of Ukraine. She resigned in May because she didn't want to collaborate with uh, Russian occupants, but she was very worried or she was growing worried about filtration, so called filtration. It's when they come for people who are potentially disagreeing with the regime and might be, you know, leaning towards Kiev.
0: She feared that she might perhaps be taken into Russia?
3: Yes, or even if not taken into Russia, imprisoned. And, you know, whatever, we've heard already enough from what happens on occupied territories. And there were some stories from eyewitnesses around her in uh, Kachovka, which made her worried about it. She has elderly parents, and we had a very moving Zoom call when her elderly parents told me she's okay to go. We are going to be all right. You know, our life is spent, so it's all right, but she needs to continue living. She has children, she will be needed for her grandchildren. She needs to go. I found kind person who became her sponsor for Home for Ukraine. We applied for visa and we agreed But by the time she was going with the application, there was no easy way out of Kachovka to mainland Ukraine. The motorways were destroyed in some recent uh, offensives. There was no train connection. So we agreed. When I applied for visa, At the same time, she's trying to make her way out of the occupied territory of Ukraine through Crimea into Russia. And this is a very often used route for people from occupied territories. And there are entrepreneurs there who are making fortunes on these
0: people, misfortune. Basically, Uh, she she... needed to pay people traffickers to get it into Russia, then up to northern Russia, back into Western Europe.
3: Yes. So she needed to pay people who have necessary connections. And, you know, all the elements of this chain are well greased. And it's a route through Crimea. So if you get into Crimea and then from Crimea, you get into mainland Russia and then to northern Russia. Some people reported it took them two weeks. For some people, it took about a week. And that's why we thought we apply for this visa. By the time she gets to Western Europe, her visa will be granted. And she can fly. Her her aim was to get into Lithuania. That road she was paying for was to get her into Lithuania.
0: And Um, that actually happened then. She paid the people traffickers. She got out of her particular region in Ukraine, went through Russia into Lithuania. And had the visa application been processed in due time, she would have been able to fly direct from Lithuania to the U.K.,
3: Yes, absolutely. That was the plan. If the system had been, as Lord Carrington promised us, 48 hours turnover, we would have gotten her visa yet before she was probably even taken from Crimea to Russia. She arrived to Lithuania, there is no visa. It was quite difficult for her to find temporary accommodation, because Baltic countries accepted so many Ukrainian refugees, it's absolutely understandable, and she didn't want to be too much of a nuisance. She stayed there for a few days, and then we decided that she would need to go back to Ukraine, to Kiev, controlled territory of Ukraine, while I'm chasing her visa. So she took a bus from Lithuania to Ukraine. She arrived to the Western part of Ukraine. She doesn't have relatives there or friends, and there is no way she can go back home. And she had really difficult experience there, not because people didn't want to help, but because of this inability to plan. You hope the visa will be here tomorrow. So she would arrange for temporary accommodation for a week. A week has passed, there is no visa. She arranged for another temporal accommodation for another week. Another week gone, no visa. Two months later, from the moment we applied for her visa, she was really losing hope. She was really at a brink. And that's when I went to home office, office building here in Sheffield, and not on the door. Her sponsor tried to chase through MP office at the same time. She got her visa in the end because a kind security guard at the office building took pity on me, took details of her case, took it to a staff member, staff member looked it up, made that click for things to happen and things happened within hours. But she was lucky to trust me enough to get out of there and then she was so unlucky to endure all the rest of it, as if she didn't suffer enough.
0: Terrible ordeal for her. She is now in the UK, but if you... No,
3: not no? yet, because it's only it's a very fresh story, Adrian. She's only just gotten her visa last week, but she'll be here in, in two days.
0: Wow, that's brilliant stuff. That's great news. But had you not gone to the Home Office building... In Sheffield, which happens to be where you live, who knows where she would be now? She was on the edge of despair, from what you say.
3: Yes, exactly this. I don't know how much longer it would have been if it wasn't for the fact that I can physically go to the home office. And it really is a last resort. I so don't want to do it. They are not set up for public access. So I am basically a nuisance when I come there, when I ask them to do something what they are not really supposed to be doing. It's not right. It's not how it's supposed to be.
0: Tanya Klemenko with Olena's story. One curious feature of Homes for Ukraine was the Westminster government's decision to encourage would-be refugees to directly seek sponsors through social media. In Scotland and Wales, applicants are directed to government websites which match potential hosts to those seeking asylum. But in England it's left to individuals to sort out, sometimes helped by charities, sometimes not. Here's Valerie who was living in the east of Ukraine but then fled with her parents to Lviv after her home region was invaded in 2014. They were on the move again when Russian troops advanced further west earlier this year. Under the Homes for Ukraine scheme, Valerie is now in Birmingham, where she lives with Dana and Roshin. She told me about the day when war came again.
1: That day, like twenty fourth of uh, February, like I had to go uh, to Dubai to conference, and uh, actually, uh, it was um, also like something crazy, because like I heard like is it someone you know like knocked in my doors uh like it was about maybe seven o'clock, you know, like morning, something like that. I mean, seven a.m. And uh, it was my dad, like, who told me that forget about Dubai, like, actually Russians, like, started, you know, like invasion. So we had to move. Like, we moved to uh, Poland to Krakow first of all, but like, the situation there wasn't comfortable you know like because uh, all Poland was overloaded you know like with Ukrainian people I mean prices for apartments also like oh my god we just sat like with parents you know like and uh, discussing what to do like after maybe a week my dad say like oh you know what the UK like announced something for Ukrainians but I'm not sure about that can you check so, like, for me, it was a little bit difficult, you know. I couldn't understand where, who, when, you know, like, and so on and so forth. Because, like, I found, like, some information about Ukrainian scheme, but I couldn't understand, like, how to find a sponsor, you know.
0: You understood what the scheme was about. Yeah. But but actually accessing a sponsor... To use the scheme, that was not straightforward, not clear.
1: Yeah, yeah. I started to dig and to to find, you know, like sponsors for my parents. I started to use like Instagram for that, you know, like hashtags. So you were
0: advertising your parents on Instagram.
1: (laughs) Exactly, it was like that.
0: And you managed to find them a uh, host family in Manchester.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And yeah. then you decided to follow yourself and you're in Birmingham. They're in Manchester. You're in Birmingham. Yeah.
1: For now. Yes. Yes. So like, I've just like realized that no, 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 no. Like I want to be like closer to my family, you know, like for is <laughs> such event. Like when, um, uh, all your values, you know, like they're, they're super highlighted. So like, uh, now I understood like, no, 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 I want to be like closer to my family. It's like the only people I have for now.
0: How did you find getting a sponsor?
1: So again, like I started to dig. I posted a few posts, like in uh, Facebook, like groups. And I received a lot of, messages from man actually yeah from single man and it was oh my god what's going on here you know it wasn't something rude like uh, but um, like few of them like something like hey like i live in uh, like near birmingham or like in that or, or in this city or something like that so you're very welcome and you know like i started like conversation just i just to ask like the, do you live alone or do you have family and the answer like yep uh, i live like alone and oh thank you thank you very much but to be honest like i want for myself and uh, uh, safety you know like that's why like i prefer to continue
0: like with my search yeah, you yeah. would have you would have felt vulnerable if you'd been living in a accommodation with a single man.
1: Exactly, exactly, because like I can understand like that Ukrainian women; they're very beautiful, but uh, think you know.
0: <laughs> well, I guess as well that in the situation that you're in, and other people will find themselves in, they are very vulnerable. You want to get away from a a situation of war,
1: yeah,
0: terror. So I suppose the system does make people who are already vulnerable, mm-hmm. potentially anyway, open to exploitation.
1: Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. How has
0: it been moving to Birmingham then? have you have you felt you're welcome in, in England?
1: It was really a very interesting experience because, you know, like I've heard a lot of stuff about your, like, you know, like temperature, you know, like about your rating. Like, yeah, kind of that. I was really very surprised when I came and, you know, like it was really middle of summer, actually. And I was really very surprised how it was cold here, you know, like, but it was just a few days. Yeah, but I thought, wow, (laughs) it's really very cold. Like, where are my socks, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But uh, girls i don't know like i've heard also again uh, i've heard a lot of you know like stories about hosts like uh, about ukrainians you know like when hosts like behavior like i not i'm not like very friendly you know like in vice versa so like i was a bit worried about that because like i wasn't sure like what to expect but here I wanted to say that like, good match is uh, that like these girls are same age as, as me. It seems uh, at least like I feel like that, uh, like you know, like same vibes. So that's why like for me live with them is very easy, really very easy. And again, like they're very supportive, very supportive.
0: Under the Homes for Ukraine scheme, you have Mm -hmm. six months with your host. That's their commitment to you. Are you concerned about what happens afterwards?
1: Yeah, sure. Like for now, considering the fact that I am able to work remotely, yeah, of course, like I have not the best situation. I mean, you know, like from the salary point of view, let's say. Because like I work uh, for Ukrainian companies, like it's not the best salary for the UK because- uh, here Yes, prices... it, would be,
0: it would be fine in Ukraine, but it's more expensive here.
1: Definitely, yeah. So that's why for now, like uh, I would love to change two jobs to one, but uh, you know, like with higher salary, I, I, I feel energy for that. And after like, of course, I would love to receive my independence back. <laughs> of course like I, I'm really very grateful because you know this uh, period of integration it's so important you know like to have people who can support you know like to who can give you some advice like wh- what are the rules of games he- of game here you know
0: have you felt welcome in the UK?
1: From my host, like yeah, you guys very 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 cool, <laughs> really.
0: That's Valerie's story, and interesting to hear how, even as a very good English speaker, she found it difficult to navigate the application process. With help from the charity Refugees at Home, she now lives with Dana and Rasheen. As hosts, the couple receive three hundred and fifty pounds a month. But as Rasheen explained, her motive for helping wasn't about the cash.
4: So my grandfather was a refugee. And as such, my grandmother has always had like an open house policy. She's in her 90s now and still does for her whole life. And has kind of taken in anyone from anywhere for long or short periods of time. And then my mum hosted a refugee a couple of years ago. So I think it actually does feel like a really normal thing to do.
5: Yeah. Do you think? Yeah. And I think, and I was saying this to Valerie as well, I think like we both work in a caring profession within the NHS as well. And we knew that there were lots of Ukrainian pregnant women coming into the hospitals. I think that sense of just wanting to care for someone else and look after someone else, but taking that into our our home and our personal life as well. So I think that was one of the contributing factors.
0: How easy or difficult was the process?
5: I think it was easy,
4: but very ineffective. The whole thing about signing up, but unless you know someone in Ukraine, then you can't help, was just bizarre. And I had quite big concerns generally about the scheme and safeguarding and trafficking, exploitation, kids being separated from adults. Like the, you know, the whole thing I thought was kind of precarious. But I mean, it was easy enough. It was easy to apply. and. I think we got matched through a community effort and real hard work from our community with really no thanks to to the government.
0: Tell me more about that. That's interesting.
4: We have like a kind of a good community, really. People do food bank efforts and, you know, all sorts. And so there was like a kind of a really big kind of uprising, wasn't there, of goodwill? Mm-hmm. Like, what can we do? How can we sort it? And the first hosts somehow found their families and then it kind of spread through the community that those Ukrainian families knew someone or someone as part of their family that needed someone else so that kind of helped yeah, yeah ripple effect definitely and then eventually somebody got in touch and suggested a few matches to us which weren't suitable and what we thought would be sustainable and then after a couple of ones they suggested Valerie and that was just like a really perfect fit
0: Before Valerie came to stay with you, were you DBS checked? Was the quality of your accommodation checked out?
4: We had been DBS checked through work anyway, but the council did do the DBS before she arrived. Refugees at Home did a virtual home check and spent about an hour having a conversation with us about our expectations and the process and how it works. So we showed her around on a video call value arrived quite shortly afterwards and we hadn't had a home check despite having been registered with our council for ages. So I contacted them and said she's coming <laughs> and then she's here. So do you want to come or do you not want to come? Like maybe you trust the charity or whatever. And eventually they came. I think she'd been here a couple of weeks. Yeah, maybe two weeks. Two weeks yeah. or so. Three of them came, which I I kind of thought was overkill. But they were, they were fine. Tested the fire alarms, had a chat with Valerie, gave us some compliments on the interior design and that really that was it. And then they said, you know, if you need anything tell us. So I said, okay, can you tell me how Valerie gets her 200 pound? Can you tell me how the 350 pounds a month works? Because and she um, as a
0: refugee is entitled to a 200 pound one-off payment and you as hosts are entitled to three hundred and fifty pounds per month as a thank right. you from the government.
4: Yeah, so um, we're not actually getting thanked by the government. Yeah.
0: How long has um, it been?
4: Uh, Valerie's been here five weeks. Um, you've not, you've not had think-
0: any of that money yet.
4: Yeah. No, I believe it's paid in arrears. Mm-hmm. But also, I know it's not about to come through because no one's asked me for my bank details.
5: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh,
4: I have absolutely no faith. In this scheme, I've chased up with, you know, our local charity, with our local council and, you know, nothing.
0: So Valerie had her £200 payment?
4: Valerie has. So we booked in um, an initial appointment with a local charity that I think are being commissioned by our council to support Ukrainian refugees. And they have been really helpful. They booked an appointment for Valerie, got her £200 and have offered her kind of ongoing holistic support with like employment and health and stuff like that. And I think, to be honest, probably lots of Ukrainian refugees would have really benefited. I think Valerie possibly less so because her language is really brilliant and she's working and those things are kind of sorted. But at least it allowed her to access that £200 one-off payment.
0: How difficult is it to have a guest when you're not receiving any financial support?
4: For now, it's fine. It's sustainable. Like, we have probably average incomes. Valerie's offered to contribute for food and she kind of picks up little bits off the shopping list and we'll cook once a week. So she does kind of, she would contribute more if we let her. But for us, like, this is, it's more comfortable for us because, you know, we've agreed to host her and she's, saving and working to live independently so that's kind of our priority I think I couldn't sustain it long term through winters for sure I think it would impact on probably the other decisions we made financially Mm -hmm. I hope that
5: before winter comes that we get paid something I know that there are some lower income families on the whatsapp group that are really struggling they also are doing it out of their own goodwill and I think some people feel really angry and upset and taken advantage of actually mm. there are people that have been hosting guests and this is like it could be a whole family mm. um you know two children a, a mum and a dad or a mum or a grandmother with the family since April and they still haven't received any payments from the government mm. so for them I know that's been really really challenging And I think as well,
4: the expectation is you provide living accommodation and not meals. And I just think what in what work what what lock the fridge or (laughs) eat on a rotor? Like what a bizarre thing to suggest that we wouldn't feed her. Like how strange. You know, we don't eat together every night. That you can't host somebody unless you can feed them. And to think of somebody coming here to then register on universal credit in order to survive, even if you got an advance payment on universal credit, you would be waiting weeks and weeks. There is no way somebody could come and financially sustain themselves, even to cater for themselves, to live in a house. It's
5: mm.
4: it's a ridiculous proposition. And we would never have entered into this if we couldn't afford for her to to eat the things that she wants to eat and to eat together. And, you know, for her to be self determinate and think what she might want to eat, when she might want to eat, you know, mm. that I just think that's a real basic to, to live with dignity. And I, that definitely hasn't been sustained by the mm. government.
0: Overall, how would you rate the scheme?
4: To be honest, I would rate the outcome really highly and I would give very little thanks to the scheme. But so far, I haven't got anything from the scheme that I hadn't already got. I had a DBS check from work. I had a virtual home assessment from a charity. Value access to 200 pound. Okay, I guess from the government but via a charity. We haven't received any money.
5: I think all the organisation as well has been through people within the community like we said before and WhatsApp groups and you know pairing people mm-hmm. in Ukraine to people in in mm-hmm. Birmingham.
0: The rules of the Homes for Ukraine scheme have made all of these things possible and Valerie to come and live in your house. But in terms of practically making it happen, that's been down to you, to Valerie and to community effort.
4: Definitely. And just because Valerie is happy and safe here doesn't mean that the scheme has enabled Valerie to maintain her safety and be safe here. I don't trust the scheme to have consistently facilitated safe placements for inherently vulnerable people in a really vulnerable circumstance. And that worries me. I don't think the scheme stood the test when it came to matching people but also safeguarding
0: people. Well, the fact that you didn't have a home check until after Valerie arrived Mm. is something that would give me cause for concern. Uh, Yeah,
4: the nice guy from the council said, you know, she's really happy here. And I thought, of course, (laughs) yeah, I know. But also you're quite late to go and ask her whether she's happy. And it's not just if she's happy. I could have locked her in a dungeon. or this could have broken down after a few days and she could have been homeless. But it made it seem like a happy accident.
5: Mm. And
4: actually, when it's coming from the government, it should be more than a happy accident. There Mm. should be some kind of strategy. And that just seemed lacking, I think.
0: Dana and Rasheen. I should clarify that since we recorded that interview, the couple have now belatedly received their first £350 hosting payment. But we have heard of hosts who've received no money since April. And their substantive point about lack of support remains. So how fair is that? Just have a listen to Simon Schechtman from Birmingham, who's helped hundreds of hosts and Ukrainian guests since the war started, including Valerie and Dana and Rasheen. Like everyone I've spoken to, she believes that Homes for Ukraine is a positive idea. But what's her take on how it's being implemented?
2: I would say the key is the fact that hosts have been largely left unsupported. The scheme looks great. You can have people like myself, other individuals and official matching organisations helping to find as close as possible, pairing in the hope that it will work out with your family nucleus, the nature of your home, whether you've got kids, whether you've got elderly family members, whether you've got pets, whether they've got pets, whether they've got kids. You can try and make that work, but you still need to support those hosts. Now, most, if not all local authorities have put in place a support framework to help the newly arrived refugees. And arguably, that is the more important point. They're in a new country, a new land, a new language, new schools, new culture, new culinary, new beliefs, new diversity. Everything is new, some more than others. You know, some have come into the UK in their mid-30s fluent in English. But then you might have a mum who's got two young primary age kids for whom it's been a real nightmare. The first three months of the war, perhaps sofa surfing across Europe or in air raid shelters or railway stations in Poland or Moldova, what have you and just these early months of trying to get kids perhaps into nursery care or primary school for the first couple of months before the summer term ended. Those refugees, by and large, have had some support from local authorities, but the hosts have really been left everything from taking your guests to the job centre to sort out universal credit or pensions, child benefit, disability allowances, these things. Local authorities tend to say things like, oh, well, you know, it's quite straightforward you just send your guests to the job centre. It doesn't work like that. Most of them don't speak English particularly fluently. Almost none of the hosts that I've paired have ever had a contact point with a job center. And so they don't know how things work. They don't know what's on offer and what's available. And it's really hit and miss of what kind of support you get in those job centers. For example, people are offered travel in order to get to the English language courses in other job centers that wasn't even put out there. So it's a really varied support framework. Some of the application forms are missing, forms were helped and filled in wrongly. And then the, the guest comes home and is frustrated their universal credit is now a further month behind. And all of these just knocks on to the hosts. Same for schools. We have got a director of missions who's actually been extremely supportive in Birmingham. And the children's services really helped to try and get kids into school. But it's taken an enormous amount of support from the hosts. Nurseries, another gap. University places for some of the older teens coming into the UK, you know, the 19 year olds, 20 year olds, a big gap in support. If you're a 45, 50, 60-year-old host, you long since been involved with university schemes, you find it very difficult to wade through the dynamics of how to get a young new foreigner into a specific course at one of the universities. Much as it looks easy when you Google it, the devil is always in the detail. I mean, these are just some examples. It really has been a case of the hosts have been essentially acting as social care workers. You know, there's been times when we've been lent on for emotional support, you know, when there's attacks and uh, bombings in parts of Ukraine. Your guests might feel distressed at home. They may have the uh, support network to turn to, but that appointment might not be for a week or two. There is no trauma support funding in place for these people, and therefore if they hide in their bedroom or if they cry to you, it's because they're distressed.
0: There is no trauma support.
2: There is no funded one-on-one trauma support that I know anywhere. There are some Ukrainians in the UK now who are many refugees themselves who have set up some trauma support counselling for their fellow colleagues much of what needs to be paid for. And we would be paying, you know, £45 for an hour of online support counselling. As the host. As the host, or as myself having, you know, managed to secure some funding from very caring donors who've just said, spend this immediately as quickly locally you can to support people in need. Now, for me, the government has put in place £10,500 per Ukrainian refugee. It isn't meant to be spent on each person per person. It's an aggregated fund, and you get economies of scale by using that in a wider space. However, I would have liked to have seen a pot allocatable to that use.
0: As we know, we're living through a cost of living crisis. £350 per month is the gift that the government gives to host families. Is that enough? Most hosts
2: didn't take on this very goodwill role in order to earn themselves £350 a month. It is also true that most of us have been contributing for various things in the home, not just covering the utility bills. However, many are very independent. They do get access to universal credit. Many of them are already working. Many of them are able to self-sustain in that home however with the substantive increase in utility bills you're looking at a 40 percent increase and that is going to hurt the average home if you've got one guest it will be very different to say if you've got a mum with three kids you know long baths heating on all the time you know you come back from school four o'clock it's dark lights are on all the time everybody's using devices all of these things is going to be an increase The Refugees Minister, Richard Harrington, as you'll know, he's already written an appeal to the Treasury to increase to £700 a month. I just want to put that into context. This isn't an earner, because we're just doing this to help people. The idea that we would then be set to substantive costs of our own is going to create a negative dynamic in those homes. It really will. You know, mortgages, rates up. All of these things are starting to hurt the average. Many middle-income families have put themselves up for hosting. I don't think it's particularly fair that they will start feeling the pain because of this goodwill support. So I think it's absolutely right that the hosting payment is increased. The goal should be to retain as many hosts so that we do not have those guests having to be moved into poorer quality, rented accommodation, hostels, homes of multiple occupation, or cheap-end hotels across cities.
0: Simon Schechtman, and the point she makes becomes all the more acute when you realise that many Ukrainian guests are now approaching the end of their first six months. This was the length of the initial commitment to provide accommodation by their hosts. There is a real fear that many Ukrainians will now have to find alternative places to stay. We put the points raised in this podcast to the government, the ongoing visa problems, the safeguarding concerns we've heard about, the late payments, the lack of support, both the new arrivals and the families they are staying with. As you'll hear, they didn't answer all of those questions, but I will read in full their reply. The enormous generosity of the British public has helped over 115,200 people find safety here in the UK since Putin's invasion, and all arrivals have access to benefits and public services, as well as the right to work or study from the day they arrive. The scheme has stringent safeguarding measures in place, with government and councils carrying out robust security and background checks on all sponsors and their properties before visas and matches are confirmed. We have already acted to make sure the £350 thank you payments are exempt from tax and continue to monitor and review the support provided under the scheme. That's the government response. I'm Adrian Goldberg. You have been listening to the Byline Times podcast funded by subscriptions to The Byline Times. Please take out a subscription if you can. You get full details at bylinetimes.com. Thanks very much indeed for listening. I'll see you next time. Cheers now. Bye bye.